Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are French football journalist Mohamed Ali and GFFN's very own Eric Devin and Lee Davy. It finally happened. After what seemed like an age, the move of the window finally happened. But don't worry, West Ham fans, we won't try and rub too much salt into your wounds, or at least some of us will try our best not to. More on that and the weekend's action after the latest headlines. The big news of the weekend saw Dimitri Payet's prolonged transfer saga finally come to an end. The France international completing his move to Marseille from West Ham United for a reported £25 million. The winger has been named in the squad for tomorrow's Coupe de France match with Lyon, but the manager, Rudy Garcia, has been coy about what role he might play in the game. In other off-pitch news, Toulouse completed the £6 million signing of Andy Delors from Tigre, while Montpellier have given Frédéric Hans his marching orders with a team of Gislain Priton and PSG assistant Jean-Louis Gasset set to take over. In Liga, Marseille started the weekend off with a cracking 5-1 win over Montpellier at home, led by Bafetimbi Gomis' hat-trick. And then former Lyon strikers continued to have a good weekend on Saturday afternoon as OL Academy product Yassim Benzia exacted a measure of revenge on his former club, notching a brace to power Lille past visiting Lyon 2-1. In the multiplex, Dijon's Pierre Les Melus hit a late winner to power the visitors past Lorient 3-2, while Ronnie Rodeland's penalty earned a point at Bastia after Alain Saint-Maximin had opened the scoring with a supply brum. At Angers, the hosts conceded an own goal for the third week running, but were able to prevail over Metz 2-1. Le Grenat finishing with nine men. Bordeaux handed Nancy their first home loss since October 2-0 to move within a point of the European places. While Joris Gnagnon helped Ren nick a point at home to Nantes, heading home from a free kick three minutes from time in a one-all draw. Sunday saw Nice get back to winning ways at home over slumping Gangomp 3-1, while Nolan Roux notched a brace from the penalty spot to earn Setienne a 3-0 win against Toulouse. In the weekend's big match, Paris Saint-Germain were held at home by Monaco 1-0, Bernardo Silva's dramatic stoppage time equaliser earning the visitors a vital point. In Ligue 2, Amiens and Troyes recorded vital wins in their chase for promotion, but Brest did the same to maintain what has now become a six-point cushion at the top of the table. And just a quick transfer roundup with a day to go in the window and just to rattle off a few moves that are potentially in the pipeline. Osasuna are close to signing PSG goalkeeper Salvatore Sirigu on loan after he struggled for playing time at Sevilla. West Brom are in negotiations with Angers over Roman Thomas, while the club are also seriously considering a €9 million Euro offer from Hull City for Nicolas Pepe. Stoke City are meeting Ligue 2 side Amiens this evening over a possible move for Gesuma Bufafana, and Unisankari is undergoing a medical at Bordeaux after a fee had been agreed with Lille. And just before we went on air, Pedro Enrique has ended his stay with Ren to join Greek side Pauk Thessaloniki. And that's all for the news. But remember, for all the latest headlines and the transfer news as it happens over the next couple of days, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. 
We start this week with Sunday night's game between Paris Saint-Germain and Monaco. It ended in a one-all draw at the Pac de Prance, thanks to a late equaliser from Bernardo Silva. Lee, did PSG deserve all three points in this encounter, or was the result in the end justified? Absolutely not. No, uh, I think it was a justified result. I think Monaco did more than enough to to earn a share of the spoils. They'd have gone home very disappointed um, had they lost the game. Um, I thought they were better pretty much all over the pitch. Um, Bossed the game, bossed the midfield, which was a very, certainly an area um, for Emery um, that will be one of concern. Um, But no, I think that's certainly a fair result on the, the reflection of the game. Uh, Mel, we we talked on our Thursday night podcast about the players that Emery might choose from, and he went for Draxler in front of Di Maria despite the Argentines' performance in the Cup. Was that the right decision on the night? Do you think that Draxler showed his worth to the team or, or maybe should have he, Di Maria been the uh, selection? I mean, you think you can, you can excuse Emery for you know trying something different. Di Maria hasn't been exactly amazing um, over the last couple of months in the league. Um, whereas Draxler has a new addition. He has, you know, he has something to offer. He maybe has a different dimension to Di Maria. And I think, you know, the decision to start him, um, you know, he, I can see kind of where he's coming from. Um, Draxler, he, you know, he, he did have some moments during the game. He, he did look slightly effective. Um, but of course, this is a new player still getting to grips and adapting to kind of the football uh, standards of the league. And also he's in the, the, the environment at Paris Saint-Germain as well. Um, but overall, I'm, I can see why he went for Draxler. And I think that overall, my decision probably was merited as well. Eric, we mentioned, well, it was mentioned in our piece with The Guardian uh, earlier today, and do check it out if you've not read it already, that PSG's midfield is maybe a little bit reliant on that little Italian that was missing at the weekend. Is that an issue that Emery really needs to sort out? I mean, Rabio has come back in recent weeks, but Pastore is still missing. Is that still a big weakness within this Paris Saint-Germain side? Yeah, it's not, as, as some people were saying, an over-reliance on one player necessarily. It's, it's a lack of flexibility, a lack of adaptability in the absence of that player. Uh, if, if Paris Saint-Germain really want to continue to or want to be considered as one of the best teams in Europe, they have to look at how teams have changed tactics. I mean, we've seen Real Madrid, or I think are the, perhaps one, one of the better recent examples of this, uh, but Barcelona and Bayern Munich to some extent as well, the, team, that the very best teams aren't afraid to change things tactically in the absence of key players. And PSG, both under Laurent Blanc and currently under Unai Emery, aren't aren't doing that. Um, Emery looks like Emery has made his made his uh, reputation playing a four two three one. Looked with the players he brought in this summer, Kovac and Ben Arfa in particular, that he was he was aiming to continue doing that. Uh, and that could have been an option last night, uh, playing a four two three one with Rabio partnering uh, Mata, for example, and maybe using Lucas as or Draxler as a playmaker. Or he could have gone with a 4-3-3 with Di Maria played in midfield and the front three that started. Di Maria has played in central midfield during his time at Real Madrid. It's not, it's not a position he, he is, has an, a lack of familiarity with. There, I think there were a lot more options uh, for PSG, considering that a win would have been much more important for them uh, than it would for Monaco. Monaco, uh, you know, a loss would have been less than ideal with Nice winning and facing Nice at the weekend. But PSG needed a win to really uh, stake themselves as legitimate title contenders. I mean, they still are based on their placement in the league, but uh, I think a, a win would have made a, a huge statement and been a great follow-up to the great form they've been having so far this calendar year. 
Uh, but instead, they were pretty limp. And as I think, as Lee rightly says, the results deserved. It's an unimaginative approach from Unai Emery, and it's really frustrating to see. If I if I could um, just interject here, um, you know, I read I read the Guardian piece about Marco Verratti earlier, um, and the fact that I think it's fair to say that his kind of fortunes are intertwined with how Paris Saint Germain are doing. Um, but this, my question goes to Lee. Obviously, um, I think you've got a closer eye on sort of PSG. Um, would you say that the fact that PSG are more reliant on him this season, um, and the fact that he's kind of indispensable, has also more to do with the fact that his midfield partners are not exactly shining either? Because a couple of years ago, Baratti, obviously, you know, a very, very talented, important player, but also the likes of Matuidi and Motta and Pastore were all doing really, really well in midfield. You know, the whole kind of the whole three-man midfield were of very, very high quality, but that doesn't seem to be the case this season. Is that what's also pushing, you know, Verratti into indispensable category? Absolutely, yeah. I think I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there. I think what's happened now, we look back at the, um, the PSG midfield under Blanc, certainly the last two years under Blanc, you've got three really um three midfielders who are really at the top of their game. Um, what's mm-hmm. now happened is the other two, um, the older two, uh, Matuidi, uh, particularly, especially last night, and Motta, uh, just really, really struggled. Matuidi, particularly over the last 18 months, and Motta struggles in terms of his mobility anyway. Uh, I think what Verratti does, it provides him with so much protection and help that when Verratti's not there, Motta just seems to just fall away completely. He really struggles if he has to play next to Rabio. Um, it's just not the same. It doesn't function the same. And um, going back to what Eric said, I think that you have to adapt when key players are missing. It's simple as that. And PSG can't do that. Mm-hmm. But certainly, Verratti's become so, so important to this, midf- this PSG midfield that it's almost... I mean, you can't even fathom if they lost him. And I know there's been a lot of um, talk, certainly in Italian media, about... Juventus um, putting in a huge bid for him. Right now, um, PSG are not making the strides that I'm sure he was promised when he when he signed his, his latest deal, as he does every year. Um, it's it's a worrying time. It's a very worrying time in that certainly within that midfield three, um, and that was shown last night. I mean, the way Monaco just dominated that midfield area was mm. really really concerning, certainly from a PSG perspective. Mm. I, I think I want to expand on a point that Eric briefly touched on with you, Mo, and that's the approach from Unai Emery's men in this game. I mean, it's a game that, with PSG ahead at one point, 1-0, uh, that brought them within a point of needs and level on points with Monaco and, and really back in the race uh, and in the tight race as well. Mm-hmm. Was it a bit concerning that they were a little bit conser- uh, conservative, especially at home, on, on this kind of game? Um. Yeah, no, absolutely. If you look, just not just this kind of game, but also the likes um, when they played, um, okay, they weren't perhaps conservative against Marseille, but the results, they've been unable to grind out uh, victories against, you know, the top six, seven sides at home this season. Um, I, w- I would have accepted a lot more. I would have expected that, you know, Paris Saint-Germain eventually in the first half would settle into their rhythm as they do. They absorb, you know, the counter-attacking um, instances of the opposition and then kind of go for the jugular. There wasn't sort of, you know, the play was very, very distorted, you know, very, very unconnected. And Monaco did really, I can't remember a time, I was thinking to this to myself uh, last night, I can't remember a time that Paris Saint-Germain at home in Ligue 1 were on the back foot um, at home uh, throughout the second, throughout early parts of the second half. But also, it's just a frailty that's not just, I think, attributable to the manager. They were 1-0 up very, very fortuitously uh, through that 
um, Cavani penalty. And at that point, you know, you've got a gift, you know, kind of lock it up and seal it and bank it. But they, they were unable to do that. And that, you know, you have to look at sort of Ariola and the, the performances of some a few other Paris Saint-Germain players are just not what is expected. I think Emery can only go so far uh, with, you know, kind of setting up his team. Um, and the fact is, you know, they 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 were at nil-nil. It wasn't, you know, a fatal result, but they hadn't conceded. Monaco was still pretty much unable to unlock their Parisian defence. Um, so, you know, not too, you know, not too disappointing. I think in attack-wise, you know, they were stifled by a really, really good Monaco defence. And yes, Monaco did have, you know, a, a decent amounts of the ball. They did have a couple of chances, but Paris weren't overly, you know, um, overawed by the by the occasion. But at 1-0, I, I, you know, I, I could smell an equaliser coming. And that just goes to show just how far Paris Saint-Germain have fallen this season. Yeah, Unable to lock those victories, yeah. Yeah, and you have to worry about that Monaco's firepower. They're always likely to score one goal. And and Eric, um, I want to talk about Monaco a little bit. And this result now, yes, they had to. They went behind and they, they scored very late on. But regardless, that's a really good point for them, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen Monaco play with this resolve. I think we can think also about the home match against Leverkusen with Camille Glick getting that late equalizer that allowed them to seal the Champions League group. And this is a team that, you know, not only uh, plays with a very forthright and, and, and aggressive style, they also don't show a willingness to give up. And I think that's really what's going to continue to drive them. I think that, you know, on paper, we could make the case that PSG are superior or maybe even equal to uh to, Mon- to Monaco on their day in terms of the level of talent, but the the willingness to uh, put their faith in in Hart- and Hardim's tactical philosophy and and uh, the way he motivates them and to keep playing uh, to the final whistle, I think is has really served them well this season. I think it's it's a testament not only to the adaptability of those players, but also to uh, Jardim's motivational abilities. Um, he's brought in a new tactical system and he's made made it work for these players and he's made them, uh, you know, see its potential. And, and that's why Monaco are where they are both in European competition uh, and domestically. Yeah. And I think it was fantastic. What last night watching them really press Paris Saint-Germain for almost 90 minutes, it seemed. And Lee, how much did that sort of unrest the hosts in this one and, and Monaco's pressing style really put the, the cat amongst the pigeons as it were and really stress PSG. Very much so. Um, it's a very ner- certainly for the for the home faithful. It was a very very nervy ninety minutes. Um, it was very few times in the game where PSG were actually in the ascendancy, and and Monaco really did look look very comfortable throughout. So when the goal did come, I think it came as a shock to to, to a lot of people. It was such it was so against a runner player. I mean, I can barely remember a shot on target. Certainly in the second half from PSG. So when the penalty came, it was it was it was like a gift really more than anything. Um, Cavani obviously he's been uh, he's been you know absolutely on fire all season. He was really limited to scraps, and that's testament to Monaco in terms of the way they set up, um, and and they get their you know they rarely rarely get come away from the park without without anything at all. It's uh, it's uh, they've got a really good record, and um, it just seems like PSG whether it's psychological or, uh, I'm not so sure, but. Um, you know, really struggling to get over the line against Monaco, but certainly a lot of resolve shown. Really, really good performance from Monaco, and quite rightly, quite rightly, favourites for the title. Um, I mean, to be, I mean, certainly from my perspective, I don't think we really learned a lot last night. I mean, 
PSG still can't beat Monaco. Monaco is still the best team in Liga, certainly in terms of the way they set up. And um, really concerning from uh, Unai Emery's point of view is that he's still not really won a big game. He's not won one of the big ones yet. And, you know, that certainly will be on his mind, I'm sure. Yeah, and it would probably be on someone's mind up in those stands as well, which is oh, absolutely. Worrying. <laughs> I, I do, absolutely. I, I do want to quickly mention that I, I thought in this game that I thought we saw two really good defences. I mean, I thought Thiago Silva and Marquinhos for big parts of the game were really good. I thought Camel Glicken especially, but Jameson to a certain degree as well, were, were very good. What did you think to the defenders, Mo, in this one? I mean, it was a strange game where there wasn't an enormous amount of clear-cut chances, and it was really... Mm. Defences showing the prowess, wasn't it? Yeah, and absolutely. Like you mentioned, the the you both sets of centre backs, you know, did did very very well. Especially, I think Jemison as well, particularly with the you know, the aerial uh, opportunities that came um, came uh, onto Monaco's goal, and also the fact that you know the distribution of the ball um, at, from the back. I thought you know he was a very very put in a very very good shift last night for Monaco, um, and probably that's you know, maybe that's why that we didn't have sort of a, a high scoring game. But you know, as you as you as you mentioned, Marquinhos, Santiago Silva, I think, did really, really well to shout out Monaco's side that have scored, you know, absolute bucket loads. Um, and, you know, I mean, that could, that could definitely hold them in good stead, you know, come Barcelona in a couple of weeks. Um, obviously, that's another side with a huge amount of attacking prowess. So last night, you know, did prove that they do still have great amounts of ability to actually just shut the door on the, on the, on the opposition, apart from, you know, what, uh, the odd goalkeeper mistake or two. Well, I Go mean, I, yeah, I just wanted to jump on that point. I think that mm. I, I think that you make a, a very fine point about the way that Monaco played defensively. But I do think that but going forward, they were a little bit unimaginative. I, I think that they resorted to trying to just ping the ball into the box a little bit too much. And of course, Silva and Marquinhos are going to eat that up with a spoon. I think that they should have tried to, uh, to play a little bit more, more intricately with the ball on the ground. Um, you know, perhaps have introduced Moutinho a little bit earlier. I, I think it would. I think a more cohesive attacking outlook would have would have served the club better. It just seemed a little bit mm. too, if not route one, a little bit too simplistic. That, yeah, I mean, but would you would you say you know unimaginative? Would you say that you know ahead of say you know, in hindsight, ahead of the game, Monaco would you know go right for the jugular against Paris? I think they would say you know let's just you know calm down and attack. Let's just kind of search these opportunities and. You know, I, I, I do agree with you. The fact that, you know, their kind of attacking play in the final third was a little bit sloppy. They could have been more incisive. But then again, you know, they can't go, you know, all gung-ho, um, particularly in the early parts of the second half when I thought they had their greatest amount of uh, opportunities um, for risk of Paris Saint-Germain breaking and obviously gaining opportunities uh, at the other end, which obviously they're very, very good at at home particularly. One thing I thought of during the game, especially towards the second half, was... Although it's maybe a slightly weak example because I'm imagine they were playing Lorient when they played this kind of style, and that was bringing someone like Boschilia in, who plays a little bit more narrowly than Lamar. And, and in regular occasions on that Lorient game, they had about four people in the box for every cross. At least more bodies in there would have made possibly a difference. And the other thing would be maybe bringing Mbappé on earlier because his pace and in trickery, he had a good shot in the second half as well. Might have troubled the defence a little bit earlier with Falcao and Jermaine playing a lot in front of them. It might have maybe mixed up the style a little bit more. I, I agree with you, Eric. They were a little bit... I wouldn't say... Yeah, like I say, I wouldn't say 
one routed, but maybe a little bit blunt is my, probably the best way to describe it. But mm. just to sort of curtail this this conversation, Leah, I, I throw this to you. What do you make of the title race now? I mean, Monaco play Nice next weekend, which is an absolutely massive game for both of those sides. <laughs> Paris Saint-Germain hoping for a draw there and, and then a result for them and that puts them right back in the picture? Or what do you think? I think so, yeah. I think a, a draw ideally would uh, would be best so that neither team gets uh, too far ahead. PSG go to Dijon Saturday, so um, they'll be hoping to pick up and carry on their good away form in 2017. It's pretty much as you were. Um, nothing's overly changed. That's what I said earlier. I don't think we've learned too much over the weekend. Um, there's a long way to go, and it's going to be about consistency from here on in. It's just going to be about who's going to really pick keep picking up those points each week. Um, it could come down to fine details, injuries, all those things. There's such a long way to go. But I think the overall, the overriding factor is that we've got a hell of a title race in Liga in this season. And obviously something that we've not had for a little while. And I'm really hoping it goes, certainly for the neutrals and for the league, that it does go down to the wire. Um, if I was a betting man, I'd, I, I, would, I would say it would come down to Monaco and PSG. Um, um, but... As I said, long way to go. Lots of points to be played for. And um, it's going to be great viewing for sure. Yeah, and you have to think that also Paris Saint-Germain and Monaco are all still in the Cups as well, whereas Nice are a little bit freer in that sense. So that might be... True. Yeah, come towards the end of the season, that might also come a factor. If they don't fall away early, that is. Sure. Might come a factor. Uh, we'll move on to the big transfer news from earlier today, and that's... Uh, Dimitri Payet, he's back. Uh, he's fled that mob that have chased him out of London and crossed the channel to rejoin Marseille. Uh, Mo, I'll give you this one first, unsurprisingly. Describe your feelings on the move. Um, yeah, I think, you know, ultimately a very good sign. I think I've spent January kind of yo-yoing uh, towards, you know, absolute ecstasy and then thinking, you know what, we actually do need a defender. Um, defender or two. But, you know, ultimately, this is a very, very good player. You know, uh, 17th in the latest uh, Ballon d'Or ranking, he's a he's a player that's um, shy, You know, it's it's a very rare opportunity when you see a player that's done really well in the Premier League decide to up sticks and come back to France, where the trend's obviously been the other way for the last couple of years. Um, and just you know, it's an exciting player that's able to add quite a lot to the Marseille attack. So in all in all, you know, this is a very very good deal, not just for Marseille but I think for the league and in general. Yeah, I can, even the neutrals are excited about this one. Um, Eric, in more of a genetic point, how does he fit into this team now he's signed? Where, where would you put him? Does he replace Cabela? Does he play from a central area behind the striker? Where would you play him? I think, I think keeping the 4-3-3, I think, really needs to be the way uh, forward for Marseille. We've seen uh, a, a great leap forward in, in terms of the play of Andre Frank Sambu and Visa. So whether he's the holy midfielder, whether William Vanker maintains his place there. We've also seen Maxime Lopez be one of the brightest young players in the league this season. Um, I think it'd be really difficult to drop Lopez. And obviously, Sanson, we've all seen, he's been a, one, of the, one of the better young players in the league on, in the recent past. So yeah, 4-3-3 uh, with uh, Tovan on the right, Gomez up top, Paya on the left, and keeping that, keeping that midfield the same. Uh, Sanson, one of Vancouver, Zambonguisa, and, and Lopez. Yeah, it keeps that strength then, doesn't it, in the midfield as well, which you have to cast that right balance when you have so many exciting attacking players. Uh, uh, Lee, we were talking about this the other week as well, and does this seem like an, a statement of intent from Marseille of what their project now looks to be? And bringing that big name back in is the real start of something, maybe possibly something interesting. 
Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any any doubt about that. If I think back to when uh, Frank McCourt took over, um, crowds were down, um, a lot of doom and gloom around Marseille. Um, and what they really lacked, certainly from my perspective, was leaders. And um, what they've done is, I think, I think not to be underestimated, the signing of Patrice Ever is a huge, huge signing. That's what they need. They need those kind of characters around the dressing room. Um, and also, it's real putting power now because there's people that are going to be looking at Marseille and thinking, you know, these play, big players coming from big leagues, big reputations are now coming to Marseille. And this Payet move is a huge, huge move. Um, certainly from a PSG's perspective, um, and this is going to be, I'm going to be serious with you. Um, I'm usually confident going to the velodrome, but I, I'm not looking forward to that trip in a few weeks' time. I'm going to be honest. Um, I'm not looking forward to. Um, Seeing Mo Glow if they um, <laughs> if they win because he's been having a lot of fun on Twitter um, if they do but I'm 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 a little more nervously looking over my shoulder as a PSG fan um, seeing you know the way Marseille are are really starting to build a squad and certainly gaining some momentum. Yeah, and it's 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 a good job they got back on the horse after those couple of defeats as well to start the second half of the season. Let's talk about some of the other moves. And Lee's already mentioned one uh, in in the move for Patrice Evra, but there are also possible moves for Gregory Sertic, although that mm. looks to have broken down at the moment. And obviously, Alessandrini going with his, <laughs> unsurprisingly, his um, potential to start or play games getting narrower and narrower. What do you think to the moves they've made recently through and the moves they're looking to make at least? Um, well, I think that, you know, overall January is a very, very difficult market. I think you can just only kind of secure opportunities where, you know, wherever they sort of present themselves. And I think it's a case, first of all, of kind of filling in the spots, uh, the, the squad positions and kind of getting rid of the deadwood. That's the first priority uh, for Marseille this January maybe get, get uh, obviously uh, good players that can sort of uh, cement a top five finish. And then I think the summer is a very, very big opportunity where Marseille can look to make a splash. Um, I think obviously Patrice Evra, like I thought, you know, if you look look at it, um, Evra and Payet are obviously opportunities that have just presented themselves. Payet was obviously not happy at West Ham. And, um, and Evra has his last months of his contract at Juventus uh, terminated. So I think, you know, having those two very, very experienced, very, very talented players in uh, in the squad, obviously very, very good. Um, Morgan Sanson, we spoke about it before in the last couple of podcasts, um, kind of the direction that Marseille want to take and a very good first blow uh, of the transfer window uh, to kind of shape the new Marseille project. I thought Gregory Sarge, not a lot of people are very happy with this uh, potential signing. It looks, it looks set to go through, actually. Um, possibly tonight or tomorrow, um, but he's a. I, c- I can see why Rudy Garcia has gone for him. He's a very, very versatile player, able to offer another option in midfield, but also in defence. Marseille are very, very uh, problematic. Have seen their defence pretty ravaged over the last uh, couple of weeks by Monaco and Lyon, and even against Montpellier, the scoreline might have looked uh, flattering. But you know, Montpellier's pacey forwards um, did pose a couple of problems for the aging Rolando and um, Fanny. So having uh, a, a, an option uh, in Sertic, who is very good uh, on the ball, playing out of defence, um, is a decent option. And then again, you know, it's just a, a reliable squad filler, you know, somebody that can present a really decent option on the bench at 27 years old. 
Um, Alessandrini to Los Angeles, I think he's, <laughs> I think he's ultimately served his purpose. Um, I think after Bielsa, sort of uh, his performances and kind of importance to the squad uh, went down considerably, and I think that's just a good option to you know kind of cash in on now at the moment. And ultimately, I think if I'm not mistaken, there will be possibly one extra signing um, by tomorrow, and that will be a partner for Gomez or a deputy for Gomez up front. You know, Marseille did have this problem 12 months ago where Michi Bachuai spent the first half of the season as the only striker uh, in the squad. And obviously, you can't go 38 league games in the season in a possible cup adventure with just a, just one one forward. I know NG can play in that position, but, you know, I think you do need uh, uh, another option, especially if Leia Seca goes back uh, to Belgium. So it's a very, very interesting window. And I think if Marseille can kind of lock... Sertic and uh, the addition of a number nine and those five signings will present a very very good first window for Frank McCourt yeah and I, okay go, go ahead Eric you, oh no I just wanted to know Mo if you had any any mm. more uh information on Leia's like I there's I mean he's obviously very highly thought of and it just seems he hasn't gotten any anything yeah, no, a chance I think I think yeah no I think that kind of trail has gone dead I think um Early January was almost set that he was going to uh, go once the transfer window had opened. And Marseille had actually just stopped playing him or calling up into games for fear of triggering a clause that will say that if you play him 10 times, then he has to, you have to keep him on until the end of the season. But, you know, he's been, he's been training normally, just that like he hasn't been called up uh, in the games. And I just think that a move to Belgium or to another club has failed to materialise so far. I, you know, I don't know what will happen. Uh, between now and tomorrow night, uh, I think maybe the club are still trying to uh, move him on. Um, but then again, you know, we'll see because there's been absolutely no news on that for the last week or so. And yes, he's obviously not been called up again for tomorrow's game against Leon either. Mm. So it's good. yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is an odd one. And I, and I, I just wanted to quickly mention that I agree with you with Gregory Sertic. My only worry is possibly his injury problems he's had over the last year and a half or so that that might mm. maybe put a slight stopper on it but he is a really good player especially as a, a midfielder and like you say the potential to cover in defense the potential to slot into those roles where Vancouver and and Zambanguisa are as well I think he's a really interesting signing to add to that that <laughs> midfield but um let's talk about the win on Friday now uh, Eric w- what did you think to the game Marseille really needed to bounce back in this one against a, a struggling Montpellier side and they did just that yeah I think that you know whether or not Cabela stays past the end of the season I think that there's there's a high level of motivation for both he and Florian Tovan to prove their importance to the team whether uh Rudy Garcia six the sport three three or does a different system to, to to demonstrate that their talent and to show you know show their potential importance and I, that's really motivated them both and I think they're both I mean uh, you know maybe Tovan's had one or two better games but certainly Cabela that's the best I've seen him play this season um, but and Tovan was the top of his game as well and I think that if you've got that clicking in attack Bafe Gomez is going to is going to eat that up with a spoon. He could have scored five. I mean, he let's face it. You know, he did have a hat trick, but he also spurned a couple chances. Uh, so I mean, it's great to see Marseille playing playing that sort of uh, vibrant, uh, forward thinking attack in football. I, I don't know if what you think of that, Mo, that, that they played well and they're motivated by the arrival of Paye, or there's something else going on, or Mo. 
Have we lost him? I might have lost him. I'll, I'll see if I can find another way. But I, I just want to sort of let's bookend this this chat about Marseille really, and I'll I'll throw this one at you, uh, Lee, about the um, about their current situation with those signings over January and their current results. Do you think that they can they where they finish this league? Do they finish in a Europa League place, or can they, can they maybe push on for Europe, or is a mid-table place maybe a bit more realistic? Might have lost Lee as well. I don't know. <laughs> Not sure what's happening. Is, is it, yeah, I think there might be might be an issue with their connection. I'll, I'll throw that to yeah. you then, Mel. If if Lee wants to re- just exit and rejoin the call, I'll, I'll throw that to me, Mel. You, Mel. Where do you think you can finish now? Uh, I think definitely uh, top five is definitely a possibility, um, considering that there's been a very, very there's a lot of competition for the sides below Leon. But I think Marseille, obviously, with the addition of the, the players and the likes of Sanitiane and Bordeaux, haven't really, obviously, um, made a big splash in the transfer window on the scale that Marseille has. So there's absolutely no excuse um, and no reason why that Marseille cannot finish in the top five um, come come May. And back to your um, other question, which I did hear. I don't know what the connection was, uh, the problem. Um, Eric, I thought that... You know, Marseille were a lot more incisive in the final third. You know, they did look okay in attack against Monaco and against Lyon, coming back to within the goal and creating those chances, except that obviously a much better defence had snuffed them out. But also it was the defending um, that caused Marseille to fall to those major defeats. And I thought this was just another continuation of the work that Garcia's been doing, the work that the, the attackers have been doing in training. And it's come off against a very, very poor Montpellier, Montpellier side and these chances have been able to be converted, ultimately. And, well, that talk about Montpellier briefly perfectly leads us on to our next topic this evening, and that's um, they've sacked their manager. Frederick Hans has left. There have been some issues between him and the owner, Louis Nicolin, this season, who might have a slight history with being angry at small things, but we'll leave that to the side. But, Eric, is this the right move for the club to move on from Hansa? And obviously, they've um, appointed a new temporary management team, at least. Is it is letting go of Hans the right move, or is bringing in Prontown and, and uh, Gasset we'll the right move? That. Sorry, we'll start with No, I, I think that Hans has done really, really well. I, I've, I've said it several times this season, I think Montpellier, under Hans, despite the injuries they've had, despite failure to bring players in, both in the current window. I mean, I know they brought a few players in this this window, but despite the ability to even fill the bench at times, uh, Montpellier has still played played credibly well. They've they've had some issues, massive issues with injuries, the likes of Budabu's, Daniel Congre. Um, there's and they've and they've they've gotten through that by playing a variety of systems, by playing players in unfamiliar roles, but somehow they've made it work. Um, you know, prior to the weekend's, prior to Friday's loss. And they are still in a decent position in the table. They still are in a decent position in the table, uh, given the resources that they have. And it's it's just really a shame that uh, they're so quick to pull the trigger on a manager who not only has you know kept this team out of the out of the the very depths of at least of the league, um, likes of Metz and Lorient, but but also allowed them to play attractive football. Um, it's just a, a really senseless move from the, cl- from the club who have, let's face it, a long history of this. I mean, the last few managers they've had in uh, since Rene Girard's left, likes of Jean Fernandez, uh, Roland Corbis, you know, they're, you know, I, I think of a, they're, they're sort of, of a dinosaur type. 
their managers who are, you know, aren't tactically imaginative, who don't get the best out of young players. And I think that, that we, what we've seen with, with Hans is, is, is really impressive. And it's a shame that, that his situation has to end this way. I hope he finds another job in, in Liga or maybe they do next season. Yeah, let's let's talk about it a little bit more. And we've got Lee back with us. I mean, it, Eric touched on it there about Montpellier that they've lost a couple of players. Obviously, Sanson's going during this window, and they've had Riyad Boudibou's injured for the last month or so. A couple more injuries here and there as well, where they're fielding short um, benches. Is it is it really fair on Hans to be blamed for all the current struggles for the team and the fact that they've had so many things going against them? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's kind of like a, a really tough to see him lose his job like that. Um, if you think about, it, we go back just before Christmas now, and some of the some of the results were fantastic. They beat Marseille three one. They beat PSG three uh, nil. Um, you know, um, and I think they they won heavily. I think they beat Bordeaux four nil just before Christmas as well. So they had some really really good results, um, but obviously with some of the issues with the injuries, uh, which has really hampered them. Um, they've been unable to get that consistency. But I think also what's kind of put the nail in the coffin is some of the defeats uh, have been, re- they've not kind of been, you know, like one nils or two nils have been really, really heavy defeats, especially Marseille the other night and Lyon in the cup. That was five nil and that was a, to, to, that's a, that was a result that kicked the year off. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one, but they've been, they've had the, 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 the kind of the, the deck stacked against them you know, with certain situations off the field. And um, I do feel a bit sorry for for, 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 for the manager in terms of losing his position. Um, but clearly, the, the owner feels as if, you know, he's uh, he's got a team in place now that can take them on. Yeah, and, and Mo, it's, un, it's unlike Nicolan to be angry at a manager at any point of the season. But mm. you look you look at Mollen Pelle's results and, and Lee put it out there they've only yes they've they've lost I think it, I'm just reading now it's one two three four f- uh, so they've lost uh, six of the last eight in all competitions mm. but that also includes a three nil win against Paris Saint-Germain and a four nil win against Bordeaux but at the same time this club's in 15th and that that congested sort of point just in front of the bottom end of the table is this a club that might be going backwards now without hands in it. I mean, they've got 30 goals as well this season, which is a ridiculous total for that bottom half of the table. Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, I, I'd have to blame Nicolin for this uh, rather than Hans. I wouldn't place the blame squarely on Hans' shoulders because the playing squad, no matter, you know, like you mentioned, the injuries and sort of the players that are being sold and kind of the... the, the what he has to work with, essentially, they have had moments of really, really good football and some amazing results, like you mentioned, against Marseille, against Paris, against Bordeaux as well. Um, but I thought, you know, I, th- I, f- I felt like Hans had his number up ages ago, a long, long time ago now, and that this was always going to happen just before Chris, uh, just before, or I think after that 5-0 defeat against Lyon, he publicly, Nicolas this is, he publicly um, berated his coach, who was already saying, you know, I'm going off. I'm out of here in the summer, um, come what may. Um, and this is just a culmination of the fact that Montpellier, have, you know, they were a very, very well-run club between their, their promotion from the second division all the way up to winning the title, um, you know, picking up a couple of really, really good bargains, moulding a very good squad and identity. And since that, since that, you know, that Champions League run a couple of seasons ago, and particularly in the last year or two, um, since the Rene Girard era, 
they've just gone from one calamity to the next. And no matter what sort of, you know, the first of all, like Eric mentioned, their managerial choices haven't been imaginative. I thought Hans was perhaps a little bit different as opposed to, you know, Sean Fernandez and, and the like. Um, but, you know, they do have a couple of really, really good players. Um, they've been unfortunate with the likes of Casimir Ninga, obviously been injured. He's, he's, uh, he's a decent striker up there for them. And obviously, they lost Sanson and Budibu's remains a very, very good attacking midfield. I think one of my favourite in the league. Um, but it is, it, they just haven't given, I thought, Hans, for a club bit fitting their size and obviously what they've achieved over the last five years, they just haven't given Hans the resources and expecting a miracle. You know, they can't be, I expect, in the top six or top seven. They can't, they, you know, they're just not a San Etienne or a Bordeaux, just middling around just under the European places. Um, but that's essentially what Nicolin wants, but he's, on, he's, he's not giving the manager the time, the patience, or the resources either. So, you know, it's just not very, very surprising, um, the fact that in this position. Yeah, and thank God that it might seem like we're never seeing with a Mohican again, at least. But um, <laughs> let, let's let's talk about that the new managers that are, or at least in the hold for the time being, that's Preton and Gasset, uh, Eric. What do you think to those coming in? Can they maybe steady the ship, or is this maybe seemingly rush, rushing around trying to find anyone who's free to free to a good home at the moment? I, yeah, I think that is what it is. I don't I don't know much about Gasset, but I, I don't think that. Uh, I think that Printant was poor at Bastia before being dismissed for Cicilline. We saw how Cicilline improved that team. Uh, I, I don't, I don't see the, the logic here. I, I would have rather have seen. Well, I mean, I, I think this, what this, what this really is, is it speaks to how unattractive a proposition Montpellier has become under, uh, under, under Nicolas. There, you know, we, we think about when, uh, Lorient had let let go of Sylvain Repol early in this, earlier in the season. And the struggles they had being linked with all these names, uh, Remy Gard, Hubert Fournier, and all, all these names, and they, you know, they and they they got brought in Cassoni, who admittedly has done all right, I think, despite Lorient standing in the table, they, they're they're better to watch. Um, but Montpellier are a step below that. It's uh, it's just a really untenable situation. No manager. Um, in their right mind, despite some of the impressive young talent they have there. Um, I would add Elias Shakiri, Shakiri and Steve Mounier to that as well. Um, there's a lot of really talented young players there, but I think it's, it's, it's tantamount to suicide for a manager to go there and expect to have any level of autonomy of a player movement uh, and to have any hope that he can hang on to some of these really promising players going forward it's just it really doesn't make any sense because if you keep the club up great you're probably gonna get fired next season if you get relegated well you got you got relegated with Montpellier just five years after they've won the title so it's really a not there's really nothing attractive about that club situation um save a few promising young players to make a manager want to take that leap I think that's that's the struggle that uh Montpellier are facing and that's why they've turned to uh, the likes of Gasset and Printemps yeah, and just to sort of end this argument, and, and Lee, Montpellier are a, a point above the drop zone at the moment in that sort of conglomerate of several teams within about three points of each other. What does the future hold for this team? I mean, is are they now relegation candidates with the current situation they're in? Well, they're a point above, so yeah, you'd have to say so. But it's so congested there. If you look at Toulouse, who are, uh, I believe they're in 10th place at the moment, so officially in the top half, they're only four points off 
off off the relegation also it's so congested they've just got to they've just, what they've got to do is try and steady the ship um and again and, and and going back to the point i made earlier i think the manner of some of the defeats and certainly since the turn of the year has probably been the final nail in the coffin as well as um some of what, what um maybe some of the issues off the pitch with with the owner um but certainly they've just got to try and uh, steady the ship and try and nick a, nick some points on the road and 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 try and make their you know, try and make their home a, a bit of a fortress like they did before Christmas and and, uh, and get some results, certainly uh, on, on the road as well. Just try and stay up and and, um, and certainly get a bit of a feel-good factor around the place. It's not going to be easy. There's a lot of teams fighting for survival. It's going to be certainly interesting viewing. Yeah, and if I am any team that of maybe even in France, maybe in England, Go and grab a couple of million and waft it under Nick Land's nose about Rayad Boudibou's and get him out of this situation because he's a fabulous player that someone will pick up and really, really enjoy. But <laughs> it'll be Montpellier's for the time being, at least if he, nothing happens in the next day or so. Um, we'll move on now, finally, to Lyon, who followed up that solid win against Marseille last week with a pretty tepid display against Lille. The latter ran out 2-1 winners. But more importantly, with a nine-point gap opening up, even with a game in hand, Eric, is that Champions League place out of the question or is there still hope? I mean, there's still a long season to go, but it seems like that Leon every other week have a little bit of a knock backwards. Yeah, and that's really been this, the story of the season. I think that right now this team is definitely on the outside looking in. It's not impossible to see to see them getting, to, getting into the top three, but uh, they're going to have a lot more distractions than particularly the likes of Nice, uh, going forward, you know, with the Europa League, uh, what I think people are looking at is a winnable tie against Azad Alkmaar. They've got, they're still, uh, still at it in the Coupe de France, a huge match against Marseille tomorrow. Um, but I, I think what's frustrating about this team right now is that uh, Bruno Genesio just really does not seem to be getting his tactics right. Um, he's playing this 4-2-3-1 in an effort to shoehorn all these attacking players in, into the side Whereas I think we can say with absolute certainty that a 4-3-3 has always suited um, particularly Memphis Depay, Corentin Tolisso bet, better than a 4-2-3-1. Tolisso does not look like he's entirely comfortable playing as part of a back two with Gonalon. Uh, he's, and he's also not as effective going forward. Uh, and uh, it also doesn't get the best out of uh, Nabil Fakir or Matthew Balbuena either. I think that Leon are need to play a 4-3-3, whether that's dropping Fekir or dropping Valbuena. I, I think that remains to be seen. I think that Valbuena probably merits a place in the team based on his play over the last two months and starting Depay on the left. There were some really promising interchanges between between Depay and Lacazette early on, uh, but the team couldn't capitalize. Valbuena also blazed a shot over the bar from very close range against Lille. But yeah, I, I, this team looks at sea right now, and that's that's consistency. I mean, their, their sheer level of talent is going to allow them to win uh, certain matches uh, week to week in there and, and even allow them to look good doing it. Um, but I mean, I think the, the winner for Bastia is a good example. Or, uh, not Bastia. The winner for Montpellier in the cup was a good example of that. But uh, the fact of the matter is when they're faced with a, a side that have good discipline, good organization, I think Lille definitely did playing that three at the back or five at the back, whatever you want to call it <clears throat> uh, on Saturday. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna be up against it. They don't have the inventiveness. They don't have the creativity uh, playing in this system to pick the locks, if you will. And uh, they're gonna suffer in that regard in, in, until 
until they have uh, a realization that this four four two four two three one whatever you want to call it uh, isn't doesn't get the best out of these players. Mo, what did you think to Leon's mm. performance? I mean, again, they were really good against Marseille for long periods of that game, but it, yeah. it then turned into another really frustrating display against the Lille side that haven't been setting the world alight exactly in the last couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think speaking as a neutral, I think <laughs> but if I speak as a Marseille fan, you know, this kind of one step forward, two step back sort of thing is actually pretty pretty funny to watch. But speaking as a as a neutral, it's just very, very uh, frustrating because I think the the last two games, the last two defeats against Lille and against Khan, had Paris Saint-Germain, uh, not Paris saint Lyon won them, they would be right under Paris Saint-Germain's uh, necks, right below them, obviously with the additional games to come against Mets. I think they would have been perhaps two points um, off the top three. They would have been, it could have actually put them as really, really distant um, title, um, with distant, ch- you know, they have the chance for the title as well, perhaps, um, in a four-way title race. But again, you know, They've just I, don't, I can't I can't seem to imagine why this is the case where they've put in a lot of effort to dispatch Monaco away from home just before Christmas. They were very very good in the final third against Marseille. They not only matched Marseille in midfield but really overawed them um, in in the second half and took advantage of the sort of the the space afforded to them. They were really clinical and incisive um, and very intelligent. Also, the play against Monaco I thought the sort of the interplay between um, the midfield and the attack was very, very smart. Um, but now, you know, you've got two very, very demoralising defeats. They, there's now, I think, an almost fatal gap between third and fourth now. Um, yes, they will go, perhaps you know, they'll go a little bit further in the Europa League. They will dispatch Alkmaar, that's always a given. But their next two games, two out of the three games, they play Sanatien away on, uh, at the weekend. They play Nancy at home, which obviously should be a, a straightforward three points. And they play... Uh, gang on away. Now, if you look at the way that they've been playing and sort of middling against teams um, below them in the table, then if they don't pick up at least six points um, against uh, San Etienne and against Gangon, then you know they've, 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 they're in danger of not only maybe um, missing out on the Champions League, which is almost a given, but they, the likes of Marseille and San Etienne could also overtake them. That gap will come down, specifically, particularly if Mets... Um, managed to win against them in an additional game. It's very, very frustrating given, you know, they do have a very, very good squad. They're a squad that should be graduating almost to the next level. Um, that squad finished second. They had a loss Umtiti, but it's not like they've lost uh, Gonlons, they haven't lost like Azem Takir. And they possibly might do in the summer. So, you know, it's very, very important why they finish this summer because that will have a good bearing on whether Lacazette or Co stays. And if they finish fourth, with Lacazette and, the, and Fakir and Depay and Valbuena, etc. Well, what, what's to say next season they might not finish even lower? Mm. That's, that's the way the, the worry starts to ebb in. And you mentioned a couple of difficult games in the next couple of weeks. Saint-Etienne away in the derby and Sunday, after, and Sunday evening. And the away trip to Gangam doesn't sound very favourable either. And, and Lee... Can, that's the problem now. They can't really afford to slip up too many more times or they might not catch anyone. Do you think they can really run the table or do you think that their inconsistencies will really stop them from making a run at that Champions League place? Um, it's certainly... I mean, it's it's certainly the opportunities there, the Champions League opportunities there. I, I do think the three teams above them will still drop points. Um, but something has to change. Something has to change very, very quickly. Um 
just it's a really puzzling one for me, Leon. They've got such a talented squad of players. Um, and the strange thing is that when you look back, I think I think the game that, that probably sticks out most that sums up Leon's season was that one against PSG. And okay, they lost the game. In the first half, they were they were woeful. In the second half, they were absolutely tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Again, the, the Monaco away game for me was one of the most complete performances I've seen in Liga in this season. But then as, as Eric said, you know, you, you, you know, you, you get come up against a well-organized team such as Lille, and they just can't break them down. They can't find the tools to break them down. But it's too often um, the, the inconsistency. It's too often it's happening, and um, certainly something needs to be addressed. But if I can just quickly throw to Eric, do you do you feel that you know, obviously talking about the fact that they're not able to unlock defences and unlock well, uh, well-drilled well teams. Do you feel that Genesio uh, is, is the man to take them forward? No, absolutely not. I think that we should look, first of all, at transfer strategy. Uh, Morgan Sanson had been linked to the club <clears throat> as well. And if you think about a, a midfield of Gonalon, Toliso, and Sanson, and that front three of Bean, Valbuena, Lacazette, uh, and Gazal, that to me seems like a complete team playing, playing well tactically. But instead... Genesio, you know, and obviously Olas make this big splash to bring in Depay. And it's just, you know, whether Genesio is countencing that or not, I just think that his tactical indecisiveness uh, is really disappointing. He got this team playing incredibly well with a 4-3-3 down the back end of last season. Gazelle and Cornet in particular were incredible. Um, but he's dithered too much tactically this season. I mean, I know injuries played a part earlier in the season, but now he's got a fully fit squad. Uh, and he, yet he still messes about with these different systems to, to try and you know, account for, for different players' absences. And it's really frustrating to see. He doesn't seem to have uh, the self-belief, the confidence to put his mark on the team in a way that way it's going to drive them forward. And that's what's, I mean, that's what's holding this team back and limiting them, uh, despite their obviously manifest talent. I mean, I think we could probably argue that Leon's the, the third best team in the, in the league in terms of talent. Um, but it's just that Nice under Favre are getting much more out of the players that they have. Absolutely. Yeah. I, think, I think that's a very good point. The fact that they're not, I think Jesse's not getting um, the most out of these players um, because of that tactical indecisiveness. And I think that all of us is a bit, uh, to blame as well. I think that, you know, perhaps me personally, I think that you should have appointed another coach in the summer. Um, you know, have a six-month stopgap between Fournier and obviously the start of this season. And Genesio did do well to kind of, you know, uh, get that second-place finish uh, last year. But then again, I think it's time to move on. I think you're dallying a lot. I think you're wasting a lot of time. But on Genesio at the moment, considering there's actually kind of a lot of stake, Leon, I think, are a very important juncture at the moment. And you can't just be, you know, slipping up against uh, the middling teams in Ligue 1. Because obviously, I think as much as Marseille have got a very big summer coming, I think Lyon do as well. Very, very big summer indeed. Yeah, and just looking at the table now and, and thinking that a win for uh, Lever at the weekend would see them just a point behind Lyon. And there's also a worry with Lacazette, obviously, out of the game on Tuesday as well. If, and he scored 18 goals for them this season. That They've only scored 40 so far this season. Eric, is that a real worry if he has to miss any extended period of time? Yeah, I, I think equally the loss of Diakabi. Um, 
Leon just haven't shown that they can they can cope with with important players being absent in, in a way that makes sense. Or when they do cope, it takes them a long time. I mean, last last season it was Fakir, uh, and the team eventually got settled into that four three three. But time's an issue. I mean, Lacazette uh, is turning or, or just turned. I can't remember when his birthday is. I think it's in May. Uh, just is about to turn twenty six. You know, he's not he's not a kid anymore. He's going to be wanting to. He's only got say five years left at the, the peak of his career. He's going to want to move away. And if Leon can't hop, offer him offer him Champions League, then it's it's easy for him to to leave because they don't have a plan B. I mean, maybe it's Fakir, maybe it's Depay playing centrally. I'm going to be very interested to see this match tomorrow. But it's it's a frustrating situation um, that they don't have a real backup for him. I mean, they brought in this kid Mateta, who you know maybe could be something. But yeah, there's there's a lack of continuity there. It's and it's just it seems to be grasping at straws, throwing stuff at the wall, as it were. And when something sticks, is it down to luck or is it down to ingenuity on the part of the manager? It, and that's a question to be asked as well. Mm, it's a real worry, isn't it? And, and just very quickly on Lille, obviously the victors in this one. Mo, how was it? How important was it to finally get them? Someone like Benzia scoring again and finishing because they really struggled for goals this season. Yeah, and I thought the fact that you know, I thought Benzi hasn't really shone, um, as particularly the whole little uh, front line hasn't really shone. Um, but they're very entrepreneurial the weekend, and the fact that Benzi, obviously an ex Leon youth product, getting the goals against his former club as well, I think they've just basically, I think they've turned a corner. A very, very big away win. Benzi, um, you know, doing doing really well um, at the Parker Well on the weekend. And obviously, this whole thing surrounding the club off the field as well. I think Lil, you know, you can safe to say that this now is looking good, where they can just move up the table. They will get a couple of signings in tomorrow as well, and sort of this is a very, very good platform to build on and kind of maybe secure a top ten finish where they've been obviously in the lower reaches of the table um, for much of the season so far. So this is, you know, Saturday I think is the start of something really, really good. Yeah, there's been a lift from the DNCG that they're possibly making up to six signings before the window finishes, which is incredible. Yeah, can you imagine that? That's a rotating door for them tomorrow, isn't it? That's going to be a fun one to watch. That's why you should definitely tune into our coverage for 25 hours starting from this evening at midnight. Please follow that on our Twitter feed and and our on our website. That's all that we have time for this week. My thanks to Eric, Mel, and to Lee. Uh, thank you all for listening as well. Join us for the preview show hosted by Eric on Thursday, and we will see you here at the same time, same place next week. Abianto and goodbye.